You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. How are you doing this week? Hey, mate. Uh, I would say I'm doing well, but I'm a little bit sick at the moment. But no, I'm I'm all good. I'm all good. Yeah. Normally, I I don't sleep in that much. And then uh, this morning, it was just, I don't know, something just hit me for six. Um, I only got out of bed about 40 minutes ago and it's almost 11 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, I'll be the same, honestly. I think I didn't sleep very well last night because I I Mm. also had my alarm set at seven o'clock as normal and then just snoozed it and it ended up sleeping in way longer than that. Mm. Um, it's a vicious yeah. cycle, isn't it? The snooze button. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's dangerous. You put it on like 10 minutes and then, you know, every 10 minutes you turn, it, you end up snoozing it for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know a couple of people that have just like uh, uh, an alarm set for literally like every second minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm not one of those people. That, that Try. Yeah, nah. that'd be hard. Yeah, that'd be tricky. No, but we've got a lot to talk about today. A lot of different uh, news stories, a couple from last week that we missed. Um, some interesting stuff on uh, AMC and Wall Street Bets is back mm. in the news again. <laughs> Little story on Tesla that I'll, uh, that I'll run through and a couple of different things. So, lots to talk about today. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll just get straight into it. So, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application that you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio and you can use it to track all of the different types of gains you experience as an investor. So, capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. And then the main reason why I've personally been using it over the past few years is for when it comes to tax time. So, ShareSite generates up to 10 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as your capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spot S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Uh, So, you can use that link to sign up to a free plan or you can sign up to a premium plan for more features and get four months off a yearly subscription if you use that link. Um, And in particular, if you're in Australia or New Zealand and your financial year is coming up, uh, you might want to check this out and uh, save yourself Mm. some money and or time uh, when it comes to tax time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very handy. Um, Out of curiosity, are you up or down on currency on your share side account? Um, I believe I'm down, but I'll yeah, just have- a, I'm down as well. I'll just have a quick look. Give me yeah. one I think second. I'm down. I think, honestly, I think mm. I'm down like 10% on currency, which sucks. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I was down significantly. If you look over like the past 12 months, I think it's much worse. From my yeah. whole portfolio, it's now negative 3.7% from currency. On currency. Yeah. yeah. So, right. not- terrible but particularly in the last year it's mm. it, it's moved very very much in the the wrong direction if you're australian yeah. buying shares in the us and you know i think my problem was is that when i was last buying quite a bit of stock uh which was last march that was just a bad time to get australian dollars over to us dollars mm. um but uh, but I did it anyway because I was just seeing so so well I saw a couple of deals that I wanted to take advantage of so I think I took a little bit of a hit there um, yeah but anyway 
It's so, yeah, so bizarre. It's always the thing you forget about, isn't it? The yeah. currency conversions. But uh, yeah, no, ShareSite's actually really good. It's so clear, so clear where all your returns. Like it breaks down your capital gains or your unrealized, like your percentage gains. Then it breaks down your uh, dividend returns as well and also your currency returns. So, it really breaks it down so you can understand overall how am I actually performing? It's not just, oh, look, I'm up 20% on this investment on paper. It's like, we'll have you factor in the dividends, the currency and whatnot. Hmm. Um, but anyway, that's why I really like it. Hmm. Um, Speaking of know, currency. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, you go. Speaking of currency, you've got a, you've got a story today. Yes. <laughs> well, this, uh, to be honest, like I, I don't know very much about currency. I'm the first to put my hand up. I'm not a Forex trader. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, an economist or anything like that, but just something that just I glanced across that caught my attention was uh, China rushes to pull back the yuan from a three-year high. <laughs> so, wow. it says China is trying to rein in the yuan as it surges to three-year highs against the US dollar. A stronger yuan makes Chinese goods relatively more expensive to buyers overseas um, and has spurred concerns about the competitiveness of Chinese exports, which is a major contributor to national economic growth. I just thought this wow. was funny because it's just like, when when does it like <laughs> the 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 Chinese government's like no make our currency worse make it worse, <laughs> but for them it works out because it means that uh, all of their exports uh, are seem cheaper uh, uh, in you know other countries. Anyway, that's just something that that caught my attention. I found kind of weird. Yeah, it, that is really really weird. And yeah, I mean, I'll be the second person to put my hand up next to you to say I know yeah. really nothing about how currency functions. And especially, I mean, I, I don't know how currency functions in in my own country, let alone in a country <laughs> where I know that they have different levers that they can use to um, to to fix or, or move the currency around. So it's hard enough learning about how economics work in yeah. in the US and Australia, let alone um, in other countries. So. So, um, very fascinating that, um, that that's yeah. something they're doing. It's interesting that um, obviously their exports are, are so important to them that they want to make sure that the exports stay competitive. Like that's a priority of theirs, but I guess it mm. makes sense. Um, but yeah. anyway, that's that's all I had to say about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, one Sorry, thing. No, one thing I just wanted to talk about was I hadn't really looked at broad market returns in a few weeks now. So, I just want, wanted to kind of see where the US market was at this year so far and, and the Australian market. And man, it just is ridiculous. It, it just continues to be crazy. I mean, looking Hi. at the US market, for example, I think this week they touched all-time highs again, um, which is crazy. And uh, in terms of wow. this year so far, so the past five months, the US market is up 14% already this year. Mm. Which is uh, which is a huge return, and the U.S. stock market is up twenty five percent from the peak before the pandemic. Oh wow! So the U.S. market is basically saying that the businesses within the S and P five hundred are twenty five percent more productive than not during the pandemic, before the pandemic even happened. Which is yeah, jeez. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Do you agree with that? I don't think I agree with that either. I mean, there's certainly yeah. pockets of the market that like s some technology businesses that are certainly contributing more to that. And some of those businesses are doing better than they were previously. But whether mm. that will be sustainable long term and, and what's driving those businesses to increase their profits. Uh, yeah, it's all... Uh, it's all looking a little strange to me. It seems like a in a lot of cases, a lot of those S&P 500 companies, there's the potential that they could be doing better. Like, um, 
it seems like there's very strong demand for, you know, various things across the board, but it seems like they just, they can't be doing better even just by the fact of looking at the supply chain. There's just so little supply for a lot of materials at the moment. I mean, we're seeing it a lot, obviously, in um, the one that I'm following is semiconductors Mm. um, and, you know, electronic parts. It's just... It's just like they, they could, the, even if the demand is there, then they still can't be doing that much better than where they were just because they can't get their hands on enough stuff <laughs> because of all these uh, supply chain disruptions. Yeah, I mean, the market certainly is in a really strange place. Businesses are in a strange place. You have parts of the market that are doing you know, really poorly still and parts that are doing well. And then there's issues with supply chain and cost rising and... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the market should be 25% higher than pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, no. The Australian market is a little bit more normal. Um, so, right. year to date, so the past five months, the Australian market is up 8%. So, still a really strong performance for the Australian market this year so far. But compared to pre-pandemic levels, the Australian market's only up 4% from pre-pandemic levels. And that makes a little bit more sense to me. And I mean, mm. you could probably still make an argument that the market should be lower than pre-pandemic levels, that businesses overall uh, as a group are not performing better than they were before the pandemic. But 4% up is a lot more realistic, I think, than being 25% higher than pre-pandemic levels. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with that. The past five years, the US market, not including dividends, is up 100%. Which is ridiculous. What what is that? A f- what what kind of return is that? That's a what? A f- how many years did you say? Five years. That's a that's a fifteen percent return. I think. Yeah, that is fifteen percent, isn't it? <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Mm. We we just went through the one of the worst recessions we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and the market is still up over the past five years at a fifteen percent rate of return. It's uh. Strange. The stocks go only go up, right? Oh yeah, so, I forgot that. Of yeah, course. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. Of course. How how is this even a question? I forgot. Sorry. That's what they're teaching now. When you go when you go into some like economics uni course, mm. that's the first lecture. The professor stands up and he slaps the whiteboard, and the whiteboard just says stocks only go up. Yeah. <laughs> One direction. Here you go. Here you go, kids. This is all you need to know. All right. Good luck in your in your finance career. <laughs> <laughs> just remember. Stocks only go up. Oh, dear. <laughs> Speaking of stocks that only go up, AMC is back in the news. Um, it, as, oh, here uh, we go. Oh, man, we're, we're back in the news with Wall Street Bets, the Reddit community that, uh, of course, uh, caused a significant surge in GameStop um, during that short squeeze that occurred uh, in January. Uh, AMC is now surging. And um, I can kind of give you a bit of a summary of, of everything that's happened. I just put out a video yeah. on this as well. Um, so, I'm kind of quite familiar with everything that's happening with the business at the moment, but AMC- Like how, how, sorry, how surging are we talking? Like big time? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I can just give you the numbers. So, over the past week, the stock was up 100% and then overnight, just last night, it was up another 100%. Um, Whoa, and, uh, that is a hockey stick. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll save the really big number for, for what return okay. the business has uh, or the stock has generated over the past year for, for a little bit later in the story. But um, AMC, of course, is one of those few stocks that ended up being targeted by Wall Street Bets, which is the Reddit community that's um, 
basically this huge community. I think it's multiple millions of people in this community mm. now um, of basically retail investors who just band together and and, and make investments. Some would argue speculative, but um, <laughs> the, I mean, there are some people in, in the, that community that are doing good research on trading opportunities and trading isn't something that we kind of get into really for our portfolios, I don't think. But no. um, certainly there's a lot of people who trade and there are people who make money doing it. So, um, it is kind of a, 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 there's a big demand for, uh, for this kind of thing. And, um, AMC was another business that had, was a potential target, uh, was targeted for a potential short squeeze opportunity. So I thought it was probably a good idea if I explain what a short position is just very briefly, just for people who are not yeah. aware and then what a short squeeze is. Um, so a quick explanation of shorting. So shorting a stock means that you borrow a share and then you sell it in the market immediately. So you immediately get some cash for that share. And then you're basically betting that the stock will go down because if the stock price goes down for that business, you can repurchase that stock at a lower price than you originally sold it and then return the stock to the owner and you keep the difference. So you're essentially mm. selling the stock first and buying it back later. And as a result, you benefit from the stock going down rather than benefiting from a stock going up when you do a normal trade, which is you buy the stock first and you sell it later. Um, mm. And the best case for a short seller is that the business goes bankrupt, that the stock goes to zero. Because you can imagine if you borrow a share from, if I borrow a share from Brandon and I sell it in the market for $10, and then the stock goes to zero, I don't have to give Brandon anything back because his stock <laughs> is worthless. So I get no! to keep my $10 and uh, Brandon can have the piece of paper that says he owns a, a $0 stock. So no. um, that's the best case for a, for a short seller. Of course, shorting is extremely risky because uh, in a normal investment, if you buy a stock and it goes to zero, you lose 100%. But when you're shorting a stock, there are theoretically unlimited losses because there's theoretically no limit to how high the stock can go. And of mm. course, you need to, as a short seller, you have to buy that stock back eventually. Brandon is is yelling at me. He wants his he wants his share yeah. back. So you agreed, dude. You told me you'd give it back. Yeah, I only have ten dollars from selling his stock in the market, but now it's at fifty. Now it's at a hundred. Now it's at a thousand, and I'm sweating because I've got to buy it and give it back to him. So that's yeah. where short selling gets really dangerous, and that's where we get into what a short squeeze is. So, uh, a short squeeze occurs as the price of the stock goes up that has a lot of short sellers. Um, if it goes up enough, it can start to pressure those short sellers into buying the stock and closing their position. So, like I said before, the short seller needs to buy it back and return the stock to who they borrowed it from. Um, and as the price goes up, the pressure mounts and that can force a lot of buying from short sellers as well as people who are long in the stock, betting on the stock. Um, mm. And that can cause a, a surge in the share price. Yeah. How did I do? Good explanation? No, I, th I thought that was great. Yeah. it's So, it's pretty much this is happening with AMC. This is exactly what happened with GameStop too. Correct. And with- it's Exactly, yeah. And, and like GameStop as well went through a massive short squeeze. Exactly. And GameStop was a bit of a unique situation because I think there was 140% of the shares were short, meaning that some shares had been shorted twice. <laughs> so, they were loaned yes, out multiple right. times. There was kind of multiple connections in the chain, which was a very, very abnormal market behavior. Um, 
in AMC, it's a little bit different. The, the short interest, the amount of shares shorted is currently about 20%. It's about 21%. Oh, is that all? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that sounds small compared to 140%, but 20% is still significantly higher yeah. than the average business. The average business has about 5% of a short yep. interest. So, um, it's a heavily shorted business. It's just not absurdly shorted like GameStop was. Um, and for good reason. Um, I mean, the business, if you look at their numbers over the past 10 years, they've struggled to be profitable for many years. They have some years where they make a little bit of profit, some years where they lose a lot of money. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and AMC, for those who are not aware, I probably should have explained this at the start, but they're a cinema um, business in the US. Um, and of course, the pandemic meant that they had to close down their, their movie theaters and uh, they were basically on the brink of bankruptcy. They were in they were in big trouble. Okay. Revenue went down 80%. They had a $5 billion uh, loss in 2020. Um, right. They were in big trouble. Um, but all of that is to say that this week, AMC is kind of getting some positive news coming out about it. And that's kind of fueling this speculation that there may be a short squeeze. And um, mm. the big news story this week is that AMC is now allowing vaccinated Americans to go to the cinemas mask free. So, you don't have to wear a mask, which is oh, super okay. annoying if you're at the cinemas, I guess. Um, and that news story alone <laughs> is what sent the stock up 100% last week, which is just crazy, wow. right? That's one bit, just that little bit of news, hundred percent. Wow, yeah, that's 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 crazy. Although I guess it, it kind of it kind of marks the return of the theater or the the cinema. I guess. I mean, how, I'm just trying to think what percentage of the American population is vaccinated now. Um, American population that is vaccinated. Oh, I didn't even type. God damn. <laughs> anyway, I think I read somewhere that it was like 40, 40% or something. Wow. So, I can't imagine that it would take take all that long before, you know, people are back at the movies, um, people are back doing all sorts that they weren't doing before because of the lockdown. I, can't, I, just, I just get a feeling now that we're getting a lot of people vaccinated, particularly in America, obviously Australia is a different story. Um, but the fact that it's happening so quickly in America, this kind of reminds me of what Charlie Munger said not too long ago. Is, you know, he's, he's seen these sort of things happen. You know, the, the, the pace at which people get vaccinated will really blow your mind. Um, and as soon as everybody is vaccinated, then that's, that's really a, a, you know, that's really a good, a, a good, uh, stimulant for things to just be back to normal. So, yeah, I can I can imagine that something like a movie theater, it's got it's going to suck for the next little while. But I feel like there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel now. It's like you just got to hang in there, just couple more months, couple more months. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, certainly the uh, the Reddit community is is using this as uh, as as some sort of a catalyst to to invest in the business and and try and get everybody on board so that they can force the short squeeze trade that they're expecting. And um, yeah, as I mentioned, overnight the stock jumped another hundred percent. And if you look at the stock over the past year, it is up a thousand percent. Wow! So the stock is. Absolutely soaring, um, and uh, I'll, I'll give you my opinion on their business in just a little bit—the actual underlying business. But um, yeah, many people are wondering: Will it follow GameStop? I mean, GameStop stock is up six thousand percent over the past Whoa. year, 
And that was from the short squeeze that occurred in January. And um, it, it did collapse back down off immediately after the short squeeze, but then it rallied again. And this, the stock is still, as I said, 6,000% higher than yeah. it was last year. Um, yeah. And it's only down 18% from its peak. So, um, while yes, it was a short-term trade opportunity, the stock many months later um, is still very, very high. So, mm. it's still very, very popular. And people are wondering, can that happen to AMC? Man, GameStop's at $282. Yeah. 282 I mean, at its peak- it was at 347. And I mean, when it went up to 347, it was coming from like $18 a share. 18 mm. up to 347. Then it dropped down to 40 and now it's back up to 282. So yeah, geez, it's almost in that same territory. Yeah. Man, short squeeze. They're just crazy things, aren't they? They're just crazy things. Yeah. And I mean, to give you my opinion on on the actual underlying business, because I mean, in my view, that's really what matters at the end of the day, because oh, of course. It, it could be good to get in on a short squeeze opportunity, but you still would want to be buying the stock at a price that's appropriate and buying a business that even if the short squeeze doesn't happen, or even if the stock collapses in the short term, that if you hold that business over the long term, you'll do quite well. Um, and I don't think AMC is is a business in that position. I mean, we already spoke about the fact that they've struggled to remain profitable. So, this is before the pandemic. Their business was barely, you know, economically sound. Um, but even if you take their best profit year, so over the past 10 years, which okay. was which was 2013, so, you know, quite a while ago, they've seen it. <laughs> a while back. <laughs> but if you took that year and you expected yeah. that year to be this year's profit, the stock would still have a PE of 77, a price to earnings ratio of 77. Okay, so, so very high. The stock is outrageously expensive for a business that basically produced no money over the past decade and relied on debt and share issuing. The company has a huge amount of debt. Um, mm. And I actually looked at the industry as well, because that's kind of something that's important. Um, and the industry has seen declining ticket sales since 2002. So, Oof. Movie theaters are not, not what you want. Yeah, they're not getting more popular. <laughs> let's let's just say that. Um, oh dear, that's brutal. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, a lot of that doesn't matter to somebody who's a trader. They they don't they're not considering nah. holding the business over the very long term. Um, they're just interested in a short squeeze opportunity, and uh, we'll we'll kind of see how it goes. I mean, <laughs> GameStop kind of. Um, far exceeded my expectations. Let's just say that of where the stock went. Um, I, you know, mm. I saw it in the you know sixty, seventy, eighty dollars per share, and I thought, well, that it's already gone up so much. It looks like there's so Silly. much euphoria in that stock already. Um, but then it it teared on. So I mean, a couple of days later, you really yeah. never know. It just reinforces that you really never know what's going to happen with these kind of events and and to what extent. They will occur. Um, I think it would be ridiculous to argue that it's going to look exactly the same as GameStop's, that it's going to hit 6,000% higher than a year ago or something like mm. that. But we will see. Maybe we'll be back next week and we can talk about whether it's at $300 a share or a dollar a share. <laughs> I reckon we're going to be back next week saying, AMC, you remember that story from last week? Well, now they're raising capital. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, they did do that in January after the first squeeze because they got squeezed quite significantly up 300% in a day in January along with GameStop. And that was mm. where they raised capital. And if they hadn't raised capital then, they raised almost a billion dollars um, and massively killed, diluted the shareholders. But they right. raised a billion dollars and that saved their business. So, um, yeah. 
it was kind of the, a situation where a trading opportunity actually saved the business, at least for now. We'll just have to see how long that lasts yeah. for. It actually looks as though maybe they are doing a little bit more raising at the moment because I was just reading this article um, about <laughs> about Mudrick Capital. Do you see this? It's yeah. pretty funny. Uh, it says here, Mudrick Capital raised eyebrows on Tuesday when it bought 8.5 million shares of AMC Entertainment through an offering from the theatre chain. Then, according to Bloomberg News, flipped all of that stock for a tidy profit on the very same day. <laughs> oh. uh, it says here, but the distressed investment firm could have made a lot more money if it had held onto its shares of the meme stock for just one more day. <laughs> uh, you, you can see where this is going. <laughs> the movie theatre chain surged more than 100% on Wednesday amid a Reddit-fueled buying frenzy. Hey, that's what we've been talking mm -hmm. about, prompting several trading halts. At one point, AMC's price peaked as high as $72.62. <laughs> far above its previous intraday high of $36.72, which occurred on Friday. All right, here's what we're interested in. While it's unclear the exact price Mudrick sold its AMC shares for, the movie theatre stock closed at $32 on Tuesday, which would have made Mudrick, uh, Mudrick's stake more than $272 million. At Wednesday's high of $72.62, the 8.5 AMC shares that Mudrick owned would have been worth $617 million. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's got to hurt. I mean, I said this about Michael Burry as well um, mm. when he sold it. He sold out of GameStop before the massive surge. Um, and I guess, and people said, oh, I don't think he'd be that upset. I mean, at the end of the day, he's a smart guy and a profit's a profit. So I guess same thing goes, a profit's a profit. But there's just, so, I feel like if I was in this situation, I couldn't help but think about the, the amount of money I could have made. I mean, I know it's silly to think like that because, hey, you know, there's estimates that they made like squillions of dollars even on this intraday trade. But oh, you'd still feel like, oh, if I just held on just one more day, just one more day. But in the same vein, maybe if they held on one more day, they would have been down by 50%. Who knows with these kind of stocks? Yeah. I mean, you'd be lying if you if that happened to you and you said that you didn't feel anything. <laughs> like, yeah. That yeah. would be painful. Like $300 million, that's like a you could buy a huge house with that. <laughs> that's that's probably the, the biggest house in the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Missed out. Unlucky. Yeah. No, but um yeah, I, you're right. I mean funny. I mean if you're a rational investor, you 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 know that you can't predict those kinds of events. So you can't um you can't really beat yourself up for it, but it would still hurt. <laughs> hey, should we move on? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? I wanted next? to I, I wanted to talk about Monish Pabrai for a little bit here because I wanted to get your opinion on something. Okay. So, I was listening to uh, – there's a new Monish Pabrai interview. I think he does like a couple of months and then mm. he posts them on his YouTube channel. So, there's a, there's a new interview that he did with the Kolkata Value Hunters Club. Mm. Um, and I've, I've watched a few of his interviews lately and he's kind of bringing up the same ideas. So, I thought that's really what I wanted to explore is the ideas that he was bringing up. And he says he's been researching a lot about Nick Sleep, who I hadn't really heard of, but apparently he's a very, very good investor. Right. Um, he's made like a crazy amount of money. Um, but he's been doing, doing his reading and one of the things he's learned 
recently that he's now applying to his investing, especially in this current climate that we're in with the stock market and everything seemingly being so so overvalued, so high, is that Monish is really looking looking to invest in the ultra long-term compounders. Um, I guess what I mean by that is, is not just the ones that are compounding well and you expect over the next couple of years that they'll be able to continue their compounding, but but companies that will be able to compound very, very well for you know decades into the future. Um, and he's talking a lot about that and how how you know the the lot if you are if you get into a long term compounder that compounds well for the next couple of decades, then kind of I, it almost pains me to say this, but it kind of doesn't matter so much what price you you pay for it as long as it's not absolutely stupid hmm. because he draws on the example of uh, firstly Walmart but also Tencent in this interview. And, you know, Walmart's been a company that's been able to compound very well over many, many decades. And he he brought up the point, you know, if, if you held Walmart, he, he said the only people that have held Walmart from the start is actually the Walton family. Right. And I just had a look, you know, what happened if you had held Walmart since the 80s, where would you be now? Well, you'd be up 47,000%. <laughs> yeah. And another example he drew on uh, is is uh, is a, a, a South African uh, company's stake um, in Tencent. So he tells the story of this South African company, which was uh, it's called Naspers, and originally it's a book and newspaper publishing company. But in two thousand and one, they invested thirty two million dollars into Tencent, which at the time was a forty three percent stake in Tencent. And they sold a little bit of Tencent in the first couple of years. But since after the first couple of years, then they, they've just never sold their position. So throughout the 20 years, their 32 million investment has turned into about, you know, $200 billion. Whoa. Um, so, yeah, he, he draws on these... He draws on this, this idea of instead of focusing on the next, say, three or five years, really just extend your time horizon and focus on the long, long-term compounders that you think will continue to compound really well even for the next couple of decades. Because then even if in this environment, if you end up paying too much, again, it hurts me to say, but if you leave this long-term compounder for multiple decades, then as with Tencent or as with uh, Walmart or another one might be Apple, you know, classic Forrest Gump owning Apple shares, <laughs> um, then it it almost <laughs> like it's hard to say, but it almost doesn't matter what price you pay because yeah. the company will just compound that that much over multiple decades that even if you paid... You know, geez, Apple stock in I think at two thousand was something like twelve dollars a share, or something like that. Mm. Even if you'd paid like fifty dollars per share, you'd still make a hell of a return. So that's kind of what Monish Prabhai has been talking about much more recently, and it's kind of made me scratch my head a little bit because I'm so caught up in this Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger approach of make sure you don't overpay for good businesses because a good business can turn into a terrible investment if you pay too much for it. But then you get Monish Prabhai saying like, oh, if the long-term compounders, if you can hang on, then ultimately it won't matter in the long run. And I'm like, man, this is just... 
uh, you can see my dilemma. I'm kind of stuck between the two. So I wanted to get your opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, what's your thoughts on on Monish Pabrai and the and holding the long term compounders? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think there's obviously great examples of businesses like Apple and Walmart where you look back and you look at the return that they've generated, like you said, forty seven thousand percent for Walmart, and you just think that is a crazy return. And obviously. If you had held Walmart since then, it wouldn't have mattered what multiple you paid for the business, right? But I think the idea behind assessing a business based on, say, the next five or 10 years and paying a price based mostly on those cash flows is... I think it's still sound since those cash flows are much more um, certain to occur, especially in businesses that have proven themselves already. Whereas mm. cash flows, say, 20 years out from, say, Walmart, you know, 20 years after the 80s, where in the 80s they had, you know, less than, you know, they, they had, you know, a couple hundred stores, I think. Um, looking 20 years out for that store would have been extremely uncertain. So to pay any multiple at that time, I'm I'm not sure you could have picked out Walmart from other businesses that may have also been competitive, but mm. um, I'm not sure. I, I haven't seen this interview, so I don't know if Monash provides like principles for identifying these businesses. But um, I think no, I think yeah. Sorry, no, no, no. I was, I was just going to say I think the idea is is that okay. Say say you've made an investment in. Um, in say Walmart, and while now that you've made this investment, you see that it's compounding very well each and every year. And what he what he says in the interview is, and the thing that he learned from Nick Sleep, if you're in a company that's compounding well, why like why is it that there's only one person or the one family that hasn't sold Walmart in all of its years? You know, if you're mm. seeing great compounding, why? Why do you sell it? That I certainly agree with. I think that yeah. if you are invested in a really good business, you should be very hesitant to let go of that business, regardless of kind of what multiple it goes to. Um, mm. I, I kind of take Charlie Munger's view on this, like his investment in Costco, where Costco, I think if you're looking at it as an investment today, it looks very similar to a lot of other big businesses today where you might get high single digits if you're doing it a normal discounted cash flow on that business. Right. But um, when he invested in the company, he was getting a really good deal on it and he's probably going to hold that for the rest of his life, I would imagine. Um, mm. And if he was going to live for another 30 years, he would probably be willing to hold it for another 30 years. And yeah. that I certainly agree with. I think that you shouldn't, you definitely shouldn't trim positions that just become too much of a big position in your portfolio. I think that makes absolutely no sense. Um, and I don't get, I, I, yeah, I agree with the idea of kind of, I think Peter Lynch goes down this route as well, whereby you, you don't want to, you don't want to trim your, your flowers and, and water the weeds. You want to, yeah, you want to that's right, water yeah. the flowers and get rid of the weeds. So yeah. um, with that, I, I certainly agree. I think the appropriate price part that you would pay for a business, say if Walmart in the eighties was at a thousand PE, for example, avoiding Walmart would just avoid the risk that Walmart doesn't turn out to be what it is today. Whereas True. paying a thousand PE in the eighties, yeah, for sure. If Walmart turned out to be what it is today, it, it didn't matter in the end. But whether you could have predicted that in the eighties, that I'm not sure of. And that's, I think, mm. where the appropriate price is important. But certainly the price, like in hindsight, I think the price is is almost irrelevant for a lot of businesses if you get in early enough and if they have a really yeah. long compounding lifetime ahead of them. Um, and that's kind of the, the point I think Monish is, is, um, is pointing out. 
Yeah. So maybe it's more of more of the idea that yes, there are lots of these great compounders, and yes, maybe a lot of them will last into the future. If, but of course, to make sure that we cover the risk of maybe they don't do that, we always have to, you know, buy at a fair price. But if you're already invested or you have made an investment in the past and say you're holding on to a business right now that seems like it's very overvalued, but it's also compounding at a good at a good rate, yeah. then there's a there, there maybe that's what Monish's Monish Probri's point is mm. is to is to yeah go the Peter Lynch approach and water the flowers yeah um, uh, and keep mm. hang in there unless unless there's something about the business that says no 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 you should get out um, yeah yeah I, I mean a good example of this right now might be Tesla for example where you're paying a thousand PE which is crazy right but mm. If Tesla does what and becomes a, you know, one of those business, like the hall of fame of businesses like an Apple or a Walmart and Tesla yeah. becomes the biggest car manufacturer. They also become the biggest battery manufacturer. They move into energy. They move into all of these different industries and they become a conglomerate that dominates a bunch of different industries in terms of energy and 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 renewables and all of these different things and AI and all of these things, um, autonomous driving and, and, and tunnels and, and stuff, then yeah, they, they could be a much bigger company than they are now. And, you know, yeah. you could look back in hindsight and say, well, it was such a good business and the price didn't matter. Um, and mm. it was a compounder. So you could, I, I think, think of it in that way. Like, I, yeah. I, like, yes, you could put a bet on Tesla and if it does everything, if it, if it become goes into the hall of fame of businesses then the price you paid won't matter. Um, but, whether you can identify the businesses yeah. that will and won't, that's really the question another, you're asking. I yeah, think. that's another story. Hey, speaking of Tesla, do you want to do you want to talk about Tesla for a little bit? <laughs> yeah, this is a, a bit of a, of a smaller story, but um, right. Yeah, this is a maybe. I don't know if I mean you've probably seen this Sounds story. Sounds interesting. I, th I think you've seen this story, so maybe this uh, makes my question a bit redundant. But what industry would you least expect Tesla to move into next? <laughs> Uh, well, if I'm honest, the oil industry. <laughs> well, they're not going into oil. Yeah, they just built an oil pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Can you just imagine what would happen to the world if they actually came out and did that? Oh my gosh! I think people's brains would just explode. <laughs> you can now buy coal and put it directly into your Tesla. <laughs> oh my gosh! That 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 is one move that would instantly, instantly get their business cancelled. Yeah, the, you know, cancel culture. Yeah. Whoa. Tesla would be cancelled. There would be no recovery. Tesla would that. be just <laughs> deleted from the stock market. It wouldn't be there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be gone. Just <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But no, okay, what uh, what industry is, is Tesla getting into next? Well, would you believe, <laughs> could you imagine a world where Tesla is in the restaurant industry? Ah, Restaurant <laughs> industry. I'm going to order my cyber burger. <laughs> <laughs> really? Into the restaurant? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've heard of this. Okay. So, oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, this is, I mean, it's a little bit of a speculative story, but it is interesting. Um, and we might um, see, have some more news from this in the near future. So, the first kind of hint that Tesla may get into the restaurant industry came in 2018 and where Elon tweeted uh, and he said this, um, gonna put an old school drive-in roller skates and rock 
uh, restaurant at one of the new Tesla supercharger locations in LA. So we tweeted uh, that in I do 2018. This, and, I, I do remember this. Yeah. And uh, I mean, look, Elon tweets a lot of things. So I mean, you would have taken it with a pinch of salt back then. Fast forward to April of this year, um, Gally from Hyperchange actually tweeted a photo of a huge line at the Santa Monica Supercharger um, and Elon replied to that tweet and said, major new supercharger station coming to Santa Monica soon, hoping to have a 50s diner and 100 best movie clips playing too. So, that was, kind of oh, a, that's great. that was kind of a little bit of an update on his original idea that he was going to build a, a drive-in at, in, at a supercharger in LA. But the new story this week is that Tesla has filed applications with the US Patent and Trademark Office to use its T logo and two other iterations of its Tesla styled logo in the food industry specifically. So oh, there my gosh. you go. He's filed three patents and trademarks. Do they actually have pictures? I haven't seen this. Mm, Tesla I logo. don't know, actually. Food industry. Um, well, that's interesting. It seems like this. So. It sounds like they're actually going to run their own thing. You know, hmm. so so many of these, you know, the way these things happen is, okay, we'll build the infrastructure and then somebody else can come in and, you know, we'll let Subway run a store at our supercharger or, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll put a McDonald's in or something like that. Yeah, well, you see like- but That's really interesting. You see like BP has those like petrol stations and then they have like a McDonald's there and, and, and exactly. that sort of thing. Exactly. So they, they yeah. kind of make it like a little shopping experience while the truck drivers are, are, are filling up their trucks. And that exactly. Sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very interesting, though. I, this is I, actually. Yeah. Uh, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, I, I really like this idea. I'm I'm really into mid-century stuff, and I know that they could do something that's really really cool. And yeah. uh, I I think it's a smart move to to have a place where people can go while they're while they're charging their vehicles and make it like a cool experience and you are missing out Absolutely. if you don't have a Tesla. Yeah. They they've got that there's one I think there's a, the Kettleman Supercharger Kettleman City I think is what it's called Supercharger. Um that's that's the like the premium one at the moment right. which has like a a lounge that only you can only get into if you're a Tesla owner Ooh. and oh you have to swipe your card to get in and it's got like a lounge and a barista and it's you know um kind of fancy but you know I I hope that I hope that this becomes more widespread. I mean, Elon's always talking about how he just wants owning a Tesla to be the most fun experience mm. you can have. Um, you know, he just wants you to enjoy yourself what, when you've got a Tesla. So I can definitely see him doing a lot more of this. And this is kind of tied in. I don't know if you've heard about this, but um, in Boca Chica in Texas, where mm. SpaceX is, yeah. um, they're actually putting a bar at the top of the high bay, the, the big kind of tall warehouse looking thing that houses the starship rockets. <laughs> Do you hear about that? No, I haven't at all. It's pretty crazy. Actually, if you got if you got time, you should you should research uh, Elon Musk's plan for the city of Starbase. He actually wants to turn that area, that little pocket, that Boca Chica area of Texas and and beyond into its own little city. Wow. Um, which is kind of crazy. He's already made quite significant donate. I think the the biggest local town is called Brownsville. I'm not sure how far away it is, but he's already made significant like uh, contributions to that town to have you know the downtown area revitalized and that sort of thing. Wow. So, and I actually do think I think Elon Musk wants to create a little city 
<laughs> around the the launch area for you know all the SpaceX employees to come and live and and work out of there um, and actually have things like schools and you know fire department and that sort of thing. Right. So it's actually not just like people flying in to work on the starship and then flying back to to wherever. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But yeah, it's very very interesting. Geez, he 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 just. The thing I like about Elon is that he never thinks to himself, nah, I can't do that. <laughs> he always thinks, yeah, sure, I can do that. Yeah. And he'll just he'll just do it. If he wants to do something, he'll just go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah. He's almost he almost does it too much to the point where maybe he should ask first before he does things. <laughs> Cause he's almost like, I'll just do it. And then I'll just I'll just ask for forgiveness if it goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, just fascinating, fascinating stuff. Just another example of how um, Elon and Tesla are just just doing so much. I don't know how that just man doing does it differently. It. Yeah, yeah, I love it that there's no status quo thinking. There's no, oh, we do this because this is the way it's already been done. Yeah, or this is the way it's always been done. It's just like, well, just like his approach that. What's the best way to do this? It's like the first principles approach. What is the best way that we should do this? And then they think up their own solution. They don't just be like, oh, well, you know, this has happened for you know, normally if you build a, a petrol station, you just rent out a, you know, Hungry Jacks will come in or a McDonald's will come in. It's just like, no, 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 we'll just do our own thing. <laughs> you know, we'll make it the best it can possibly be. No, I, li- I like him for that. Mm, very good. Um should we move on? Yeah. Do you want to talk about this uh, this Trump story? <laughs> this uh, yeah, for caught sure. My, uh, caught my eye. This is just a quick one. I just had a bit of a laugh. Um, yeah, it says here, former President Donald Trump's blog, a webpage where he shared statements after larger social media companies banned him from their platforms, has been permanently shut down, <laughs> his spokesman said on Wednesday. The page from the desk of Donald J. Trump has been scrubbed from the Trump's website... Uh, from Trump's website after going live less than a month earlier. Dude, I, I was wondering <laughs> where it went. I was reading that every single morning and then one day it was just gone. And Yeah, you had push notifications enabled. It, it was coming up every morning. As you yeah. woke up, you'd open the notification, yeah. go over to the desk of Donald Trump and, and see what he's up to, um, see in what way the election was rigged this time. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I tried to reach out to him, but I mean, the, I couldn't contact him on yeah, Twitter and on Facebook. It's hard. Yeah, It's so hard. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, pretty much uh, his senior aide, Jason Miller, told CNBC it will not be returning. It was just uh, auxiliary to the broader efforts uh, we have and are working on. Okay. Uh, He declined to provide additional details about these efforts. Um, But what's kind of interesting, asked online later on Wednesday whether the move was a precursor to the former president joining another social media platform, Miller actually said, yes, actually it is. Stay tuned. <laughs> oh. So, who knows? So, he's joining I mean, another platform. Oh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Like, maybe, maybe not. Look, I can't see anything. I can't see a social media platform that Trump makes to be any good. Nah. nah, nah, not at all. Nah. He's trying to stay in the news. He is, <laughs> but I think I think that ship has sailed for Mr. Trump. Yeah, sorry, sir. I think. Um, to, yeah, here's a question: Do you think? Do you think he will run in 2024? That's what I was just about to say. I look. I think it depends how well things are run over the next four years. 
Um, If things are run terribly and everyone is still annoyed at how things are being done in the US, if there's a huge amount of inflation, for example, if we're in a new recession, um, I think there's a good chance he will run. Um, Because I, I think that that he would have a pretty compelling, not that I I agree with this argument, but I think it looks like a good argument to say, look, as soon as I left, everything went to shit. And Mm. when I was there, most of the time for the, until the pandemic, you know, it was the hottest economy ever. So I think he could make that a good (laughs) campaign um, for himself. Like it's a good thing to run on. So if that happens, Mm. I could very much see him coming back and I wouldn't be, I also wouldn't be surprised if he won again, but if, things are going well, then I think it's very unlikely. What do you think? Man, imagine what he would... I just don't know if he would want to open himself up to the possibility of losing twice in a row. Yeah, but I mean, he does have such a big ego. (laughs) But that's what I think. That's Uh, what I think. I think his ego would cop such... I think he's sitting there and thinking, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. I want to keep being the best. What happens if I run again and I lose again to the same guy that I stood up and I said, oh, he, he can't think for himself. He's in cognitive decline. This is He's going to be the worst person, blah, 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 blah. And then he loses to that guy twice. Mm. No, no, Brendan, <laughs> you're forgetting. He didn't lose the last election. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. Oh, for a second there, I forgot. Man, sorry, the blue wave just came over me. I almost yeah, forgot. God. Jesus. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Come on. <laughs> oh, my golly gee. Anyway, that's enough on that. but yeah, that's it. That's uh, that's enough about Trump. Oh, let's move on. Mm. Hey, I wanted to just go through this really quickly before we finished up with some Q and A. Yeah, um, Iran. Iran bans Bitcoin mining. Did you see this? No, no, I didn't at all. It's pretty interesting. Iran's government announced a ban on the mining of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The country's president Hassan Rouhani announced Wednesday, as officials blame the energy-intensive process for blackouts in a number of Ra- Iranian cities. Wow. The ban is effective immediately and will be in place until September the 22nd, Rouhani told State TV, in the latest sign of high-profile rejection of the popular digital currency. The Iranian capital of Tehran and several other large cities have faced multiple daily power outages for the past few months, and officials blame it on a natural gas shortage, a prolonged uh, sorry, a natural gas shortage, a prolonged drought that's hobbled the uh, country's hydroelectricity plants, and increasingly. Bitcoin mining. Wow. And a majority of uh, energy consumption from Bitcoin mining is coming from illegal miners or those who, uh, or yeah, or those operating without licenses, government officials say. Around 4.5% of all Bitcoin mining globally took place in Iran between January and April of this year, according to blockchain analysts from Elliptic. Oh. Um, that put Sorry, that put Iran in the top 10 in the world while China came in first at nearly 70%. First of all, I didn't know China did 70% of the world's of the global cryptocurrency mining, but pretty crazy that um, Iran, 4.5%. And uh, yeah, this is interesting. I mean, this is what we've been hearing, especially from Elon Musk lately, is that cryptocurrency mining takes a hell of a lot of energy. Yeah. And in a lot of places, clearly Iran is one of them. It's energy that they can't spare. Yeah, and <laughs> they've got they've got other issues. They need that energy for their citizens. Exactly, and um, as the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies go up, the incentive to mine is greater as well. So exactly. you get more people wanting to mine. And I mean, 
I guess, uh, I mean, even in places where energy infrastructure is really, really good, I mean, you have a couple of hot days in a row and everyone using their electricity, using their air conditioners and you can have blackouts in certain areas. So it's no surprise that, you know, in places around the world, if there is a lot of Bitcoin mining, that it could contribute to too much strain on an energy infrastructure for a country so or region. So... Yeah, no, not really. I guess surprising, but I mean, how? Also, how do they even enforce people who are mining Bitcoin? It's not like they have a, you know, it's not like they have to dig up the ground. <laughs> they yeah. just have to have a computer set up. So I don't know how they can enforce that. But interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I don't know. They knock on your door. Excuse me, sir. Have you been mining Bitcoin? <laughs> oh well, yes, actually, I was mining. Ah, that's it. You're coming with us. Opens the door. You can just hear a <laughs> computer fan in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Steam coming out they of the house. Hold, yeah. <laughs> they hold microphones up to people's windows and if they hear computer fans whirring too hard, then they go in. <laughs> Iran's hot yeah. as well. So, that would use a lot of energy to just air condition the uh, the the computers and the servers that are mining Bitcoin as well, I would imagine. Oh, I would imagine so too. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's a very good point actually. That's one of the... Beyond the actual mining itself, the cooling, you're right. The cooling is what chews through a lot of electricity. Yeah. Because, yeah, if you, you're essentially running your computers as hard as they can go hmm. to maximize how much uh, cryptocurrency you can mine. So, of course, the computers are just going to heat up like crazy. Um, so, yeah, definitely big costs in, in cooling. But, yeah, um, again, like what we said with currency, I think I can speak for the both of us that we're no, we're no cryptocurrency experts. <laughs> But it is interesting that uh, it seems like the trend at the moment is that uh, countries around the world are preventing or, uh, yeah, preventing the the mining of Bitcoin. So, Mm. we'll have to see how that plays out in the future. Definitely. All right. Should we get into some uh, Q&A? We've got a couple of Q&A questions uh, that we want to get through. And as always, if you do have questions that you want to ask, you can ask them, ask, ask them, ask them by heading over to uh, the YouTube version of the podcast at youtube.com forward slash the Young Investors Podcast. Just click on the latest episode and leave your questions as a comment down below. Also, if you have video topic, uh, podcast News stories. Oh my God, I'm getting tired towards the end of this podcast. Yeah. If you have uh, news stories uh, or topics that you want us to talk about, then you can also leave them there. Um, but I'll ask this first Absolutely. question. This one's probably going to be a relatively quick one for both of us. But um, yeah. hi, guys. I was wondering if either of you had any experience with Comsec options. Uh, no, I don't have experience with any options. Um, it's just not something that I feel confident enough to, to mess around with. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much my answer. <laughs> Great. All right, on to the next question. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm the exact. Have, have you have you bought or sold options before? No, no, I haven't. Um, no. So yeah, um, just I mean, options contracts. Most of them are going to be. I mean, first of all, in Australia, they're very limited anyway. But um, options contracts are usually going to be a few months out, maybe a year at best. Um, yeah. And uh, I just don't really think that you can predict what's going to happen to a business over that period. I'd much rather hold a business and know that um, the investment doesn't really matter over the next t- six or 12 months. That if I hold it for mm. the next 10 years, that's where the return will come from. So, no experience, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's move on. I'll ask you this one here at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Hey, Hamish and Brandon, love the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, just wondering what 
both of you think of the investment app Raise in terms of investing into index funds and also the roundup feature that it has and whether you believe it is better to stay with the more popular funds provided by Vanguard or similar or other ETFs? Yeah. So, I mean, my opinion on Raise is that I think it's a really good starting point for people who have never invested before, have a very kind of like have a lot of worries about what investing is and also people that are either just are not just good at saving for example i think Mm. specifically the roundup feature whereby you're automatically rounding up all of your expenses and just slowly getting used to contributing a little bit consistently to broad index funds i think that is really valuable when you get started um but i think you can fairly quickly do it yourself um through directly investing in certain big Vanguard or BlackRock or BlackRock being iShares um, index funds and doing that for yourself. Um, and I, I don't know how Raise makes money, but I presume they take some sort of a fee on your return. Yeah, they just have a monthly fee. I'm just looking at it now. $3.50 per month for accounts under $15,000, okay. uh, $4.50 for accounts under twenty. Yeah. So, I mean, um, it's, it's a pretty small amount, but I mean, you could fairly easily work out how to do it for yourself, set up calendar reminders so that you're investing regularly or saving regularly and then investing once a year or whatever it is. Um, And you can pretty much do what Raise does for yourself, um, which I think you should probably do eventually, but certainly when you're getting started, I think there's some value in in using Raise to kind of learn and and get comfortable um, investing in the markets. What do you think? Mm. No, I think that you're, you're on the money with that. I, I, don't disagree at all. I really do like these apps that have come out that while they all have, you know, everyone's got their own issue with the with the apps, but on the whole, they do a good thing is they make uh, investing, uh, especially passive investing, quite easy to access. Uh, and I think that's important because a lot of people, you know, if they didn't have that easy access to passive investing, then they just wouldn't do it. And I think even if they do charge a fee, um, it's still it's kind of like my gripe with super superannuation. Even though they charge big fees, I still think it's better that it exists than it doesn't exist. Yeah. Because if it doesn't exist, then people would you know get to retirement, and most people wouldn't even bother saving for retirement, and they just end up being screwed. So mm. I definitely think that apps like Raise and the Roundup features it's all very good. I I do think it is a little bit you know baby's first investment kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's a service that a lot of people need to get get them into the markets, just even for them to have a bit of a play around and understand, okay, well, what, what even is an exchange-traded fund? Um, how does this money get invested? Uh, you know, if it compounds at 10% or 8% or 6% or whatever over X amount of years, what is it going to get to? I think they're, they're all good points. I think that once you start using them and you're actually interested about, you know, you're interested in making money through investing, you quickly realize that the structure that they have set up really isn't enough. You know, rounding up a $3.50 coffee or $4.50 coffee to $5 and investing 50 cents, it's not really going to shift the needle at all. Um, but it, it wakes you up to the idea of compounding. And then if you want to take it further, you can go, okay, I can now implement implement this by myself. I know what ETFs I'm looking at. I want to track the market and I'm going to put in a couple of thousand dollars as opposed to like 50 cents. Um, so, I think it's a good entryway. But um, yeah, overall, I think they do more good than harm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree with yeah. that. 
Um, yeah. All right, I'll ask this one to you. Um, sure. Would you recommend REITs, real estate investment trusts, as a way to passively invest and diversify? Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't recommend anything to anyone, <laughs> but um, I mean, REITs, a lot of investors, personally, I've not invested in a REIT before. Uh, I would really need to get up to speed uh, when it comes to real estate. Essentially, a REIT, real estate investment trust, is just a, I guess, a exchange traded investment which just owns a lot of real estate. It might be commercial real estate or residential real estate or something. I looked at one which just owned a lot of pubs around Australia. That's what they bought. They just wanted to own pubs. And then you could buy into owning all these different pubs. And you know, they collect rent and pay dividends and, and that's kind of uh it's a it's a it's a newer way um, it's it's not a traditional way of investing in real estate. It's an exchange traded way of investing in real estate. But you know, I think they have their place. And uh, if you do your research on one and you find one that you feel is suitable for your own portfolio, then yeah, by all means, like go for it. I mean, it's it's a way to get exposure to uh, real estate property without actually uh, without actually having to go out and buy an investment property and get tenants and fix the toilets and you know deal with the property management and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, on- honestly, I've I've not invested in a REIT, so I can't really provide any kind of first hand experience. But they're definitely a thing. Um, they're definitely loved by a lot of investors. Um, but yeah, just it's it's up to you. What what are you trying to achieve with your investing, and and does a REIT fit into what you're trying to do? Definitely, yeah. I I also haven't invested in a REIT before, and the main reason why is because I really don't think I'm very competent in analyzing property investment. Um, at this point, I haven't yeah. invested in any properties personally myself, so that's kind of the reason why I I, I haven't done that. But um, I, I think the main thing to remember is. It, you should still be have some level of analysis. You should still do some level of analysis on the REIT specifically because not every REIT is going to be the same. A lot of them are going to be commercial property investments, so they'll be buying commercial property, whether that's office buildings or or um, uh, shopping centers and that sort of thing. And those different parts of commercial real estate will perform differently over time. Um, like shopping centers, for example, like maybe they won't do as well as, as, as certain other areas. And, you know, you, you can even think about office buildings, um, whether there's going to be a continue, whether they're, um, people working from home over the very long term will have a, a, a negative impact on the demand for office buildings. So there's obviously things that you need to analyze and think about, um, and project forward for REITs in the same way that you do it with an individual business. Um, mm. but yeah, I, Obviously, I don't re- recommend them. We don't recommend anything here, but um, yeah, it's not something I've invested in before. Yeah. All right, should we wrap things up? Yes, let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And as I just said before, you can ask questions by heading over to the YouTube version of the podcast at youtube.com forward slash the young investors podcast and just click on the latest episode and you can leave your questions down there. Um, thanks, ShareSite, as always, for sponsoring, especially if you're in Australia or New Zealand and you have your uh, tax coming up soon. Uh, make sure you check out uh, ShareSite at sharesite.com forward slash young investors. You can get four months off a yearly subscription. Thanks, ShareSite, for sponsoring. And thanks, Brandon, for joining me, as always. All good. And that was good fun. Yeah, definitely. And we'll see you guys next week. All right. See you guys.